point game. Just play the game. A little new thing that we doing. Uh, come on, folks. I mean, happy to be joined by Vincent Goodwin. Main guy, Vinny Vinny, Vincent Goodwin. And joining us there on the Point Game Podcast with Vinny Goodwill, myself, Jabari Young. We have Isaiah Thomas. He was the first guest that we've ever had on this podcast. Yeah. Promised that he would come back, and he is a man of his word. Isaiah Thomas joining us now. Mr. Thomas, what's going on, man? I am good. How are you guys doing? We're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. NBA season, uh, you know, ready to wrap up. Regular season playoffs are ahead. Uh, Mark Madness to you. Mark Madness by Isaiah Thomas, yeah. Spurs versus Blazers uh, on Thursday. Get your thoughts on that in a minute. But uh, in order for this podcast to continue, you got to tell me that the Temple Owls will be the NCAA champions this year, my Temple Owls. Well, you, you know I have to go for the Hoosiers. And I, I think, um, you know, they, they, they'll they win the first round. And then I'm, I'm looking forward to Saturday's game against Kentucky. And I'm going to totally ignore that. Simple question, and I'm only going to talk about Indiana. <laughs> Dang, man. I guess we don't have no chance of beating Iowa, huh? It's, just, it's like that. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, John Chaney's not there no more, so. You right, know, ain't, that ain't the real Temple. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, y'all, y'all pretend Temple. That's, you know, at least, at least at Georgetown, they still have a Thompson there. That's right. That's 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 it's all good. It's, it's all good. And in, and in Indiana, they they at least have a crazy man there. His last name isn't Knight, but he's just as crazy. <laughs> so they they have they at Indiana they have someone like where's number eleven that's kind of good. So I'm gonna ah, go with Indiana. <laughs> Obviously, you enjoy doing uh you know college basketball this time of year, maybe getting off the NBA coverage for a little while. It's, you know, it's, it's actually, it's always exciting, uh, when you're watching, um, you know, the young players play, particularly the college teams, um, because, you know, they give their all, um, they're all in it, and, you know, they, they're diving on the floor, they're hustling, and, and everything is do or die. Uh, so it's one game elimination, the, the coaches are sweating, the players are sweating, and it's a, it's a great time to watch, uh, basketball because it's, it is all or nothing, and you see people uh, playing uh, at the extremes, giving their best, and also, you know, sometimes having some, some heartbreaks and some failures. You know, that's an uh, interesting point that you bring up because I aspire to a theory that winning follows winning players, be it high school, college, Olympics, the NBA. Do you, as someone who was successful in basically every level except for the Olympics, and we don't have to get into any reason, the reason for that, but do you, do you ascribe to the theory that winning just follows players no matter what level you're at, or is it just about the situation that you're placed in? I, I think winning, winning follows, uh, you know, I, I subscribe to your theory. Um, you know, if you, if you've been on winning teams, uh, grade school, high school, college, um, NBA, uh, that, that's no accident. And, you know, over the last 30 years, I think in the NBA, uh, only 11 teams have won championships over the last 30 years. And if you look back, um, over those last 30 years, you'll probably see, 
you know, some of the same people uh, who have won uh, a majority of, of those times. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's an accident. I do think there's a, a formula and know-how to it uh, that uh, you, you learn and you get at a very uh, young age and depends on the, the coaches that you have and the, the wisdom that you're fortunate enough to be around. And I, I subscribe to that theory in, in every sport. Spurs versus Blazers coming up uh, on Thursday, as we mentioned before. Um, you know, obviously the Spurs are on another level right now, them and the, and the Golden State Warriors. But this Blazers team, uh, they, you know, obviously they were very hot. You know, kind of cooled down a little bit, five and five in their last ten games. But uh, you got to think that they're going to try to come into San Antonio and, and if not win, maybe send a message. Are there any messages to be sent in a regular season game? Uh, you know, when you have two playoff teams that could very well see each other in the first round. Well, there's only four teams playing in the West that are capable of sending messages to each other. Uh, that's OKC, the Clippers, San Antonio, and Golden State. So when those four teams uh, match up and they play each other, they do send messages. Uh, everyone else kind of gets the message. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if, uh, you know, Portland uh, is capable of delivering the message. However, uh, you know, they have exceptional hard play uh, right now in terms of Lillard and McCollum, and they they will come in and, and do their best. Uh, and they'll probably have uh, good games. But at the end of the day, uh, San Antonio is, is the team uh, that will will probably be victorious. Um, they, they have so much. Uh, they have so many weapons, and defensively, they're so solid and they're so good. And with San Antonio, it's a it's a game of mental concentration. And um, you know, Coach Knight had a saying on the wall: "Victory favors the team that makes the fewest mistakes." And San Antonio prides itself on not making a lot of mistakes and forcing you to make mistakes. Is there any storyline to it at all? Like, you know, Lamarcus Aldridge—he already returned to Portland. We already, you know, Portland plays in San Antonio already once this season. But, you know, do you remember a time where a teammate left, you know, the Detroit Pistons when you were there, and, and you seen him on another team, and you just wanted to kind of beat him? You know what I mean? Only because he left you guys to go somewhere else. Tell, tell, tell the tell the story that most people will remember about Isaiah and a former teammate Zeke. Uh, well, is, is that is that the one with uh when when Adrian Danley was traded yeah. yeah. to Dallas or when uh, when Adrian came back to Detroit and he was yeah I, know, I would say when, when, yeah we we had two situations uh one with when Mahorn um he left mm. doing expansion and then he ended up in Philadelphia uh whenever we played uh, Philadelphia that was always um you know, emotional for, for both sides. Um, and whenever uh, Dantley came back uh, with Dallas and played against the Pistons, um, you know, that was emotional too. Uh, you you have, you have um, you know, times and bad times. And uh, Dantley felt that, uh, you know, he was, he was traded uh, at a, at a time where uh, he thought we could win a championship and, uh, he and Aguirre definitely uh, would go at it, and it was definitely, you know, personal. But it was always personal with them at that time uh, at the small forward position because at the small forward position at that time in the league, I don't think any of them guys really liked each other. I don't think Bernard King liked Mark Aguirre. Mark Aguirre didn't like Larry Bird. Bird didn't like, you know, 
uh, Adrian Danley or Dr. J. I mean, all the small forwards were going at it at that time because that was kind of the premier position in the league. So uh, to circle back to Aldridge, I think him coming back to Portland or Portland playing San Antonio, um, I, I think that's past him now. Um, you know, he's on a team that's capable of winning 70 games this year and going to the, the NBA Finals, and uh, he doesn't look at Portland as uh, probably uh, he has anything to prove. I think he's looking at uh, Draymond Green and Golden State as something that he has to prove there. It's, fun, it's funny you bring up, not to dovetail off of that, but the Pistons always had interesting histories with guys who left their teams. With Adrian Dantley, it was the whole thing with Rick Mahorn. Uh, if I remember correctly, Zeke, you swung on Rick, and then later that game, there was a, a brawl between Mahorn and not Mahorn, not Mahorn, but Charles Barkley and Lambeer. I mean, what were just the emotions like facing a former teammate in a really competitive atmosphere? Because at that time, people thought Philadelphia was going to supplant Chicago as the team that was going to chase the Pistons in the conference finals. Absolutely, um, they they were they were right there. And, um, you know, Mahorn and Barkley have become, um, you know, quite a tandem. And um, I remember uh, at the Palace, uh, they were, they were uh, giving their lumps to, to Edwards and Lambeer uh, underneath. And Lambeer and uh, Barkley got tangled up. And, um, you know, you can go back and watch the video. <laughs> And uh, and kind of see what happened there. But, uh, you know, we ended up winning that game. I think it was um, a game that we sent in the overtime. And uh, it was a crucial game in terms of us uh, battling for playoff position. Uh, but we ended up winning that game uh, in overtime and, um, you know, never looked back after, after that in terms of the, the rivalry between Detroit and Philadelphia. But that was, that was, that was very intense in Barkley and Mahorn. Uh, underneath, they were definitely uh, giving out their share of hits and, and shots to all of us. Yeah, what, uh, Jabari, what Isaiah won't tell you about that game is that he stole an inbounds pass from I think Mike Mike Jeminski with like three seconds left, like stole an inbound pass under the rim and dished it to Dumars and got a layup, and that's how they won the game. So it was like the Larry Bird thing only in reverse. Oh, you got a great memory. Vinny <laughs> <laughs> is a historian, that is man. exactly what happened. Yeah, that is exactly what happened. Wow. <laughs> you got yeah, a great yeah, history, that's man. That's exactly what happened. So I, and, I'm, I'm, I'm a geek, I was a basketball geek in Detroit, Zeke. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it, it's funny. It, it, it's like when you mention it, right, after that game, I swear to God, I went in the locker room and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody was like, you know, you, you excited, but you like overly excited about like you know, winning this game. I was like, and, and I said to everybody in the locker room, now we even, now we even. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I got it. I, I paid my debt off, you know, it's like, Bird stole it from me. Now I stole it. I got it back and now we even. Are we good, everybody? Everybody was like, I was crazy, but I was like, like, what you talking about? And I was like, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when Bird stole the ball from me. Now we even, right? I stole it. We even, right? Everybody's like, yeah, we good, Zeke. We good. Wow. 
you, you, you switch, man. You, you talk about, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the stars nowadays, and, you know, we've had, heard enough about Steph Curry over the, over the last, you know, few months in this season. He's doing some astronomical things, playing some very good basketball right now. But a guy who I think you're starting to hear more about, who you may not have heard about uh, as much, is Kawhi Leonard. Um, you know, definitely, to my, in my opinion, a superstar. Uh, definitely to me, I think this Spurs team is his, even though somebody from the Spurs said, you know, you know this team is still Duncan's has been that way for 20 years, but I say it's Kawhi's team now. Your thoughts on, on the emergence of Kawhi Leonard uh, as a superstar in this league today? You know, Charles Barkley said this, um, you know, um, about a month or two ago, and I, and I have to agree with him. Um, you know, he's the best two-way player in all games. Uh, defensively uh, and offensively, when you talk about the total player in the total package, he's it uh, from from a leadership standpoint, uh, from a from a, a, a how you want to conduct yourself. Um, you know his his humility, his his humbleness, uh, his you know you. It, it's almost like you you look at Tim Duncan and you look at Kawhi Leonard and you say that. You know, they, they do it the old school way. Um, very little celebration. Uh, they don't show anyone up. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's as, as good as it gets in our game today. And, you know, T- Duncan, when you, when you talk about him, um, you know, in terms of whose team it is, it will always be David Robinson, Tim Duncan, and Greg Popovich team from a knowledge standpoint in terms of um, the identity of the San Antonio Spurs, um, that knowledge base uh, will always be there. Uh, and when we talk about whose team it is, uh, I would say uh, it's Robinson, Duncan, and Popovich. Uh, that's, that's the tree of knowledge that they, that they play from. And Kawhi, when you look at him as an individual, as a person, uh, how he conducts himself, how he plays the game. You can see, um, you know, a lot of similarities personality-wise in terms of Duncan and Robinson. When you talk about the lineage and, like you said, the passing down of knowledge, it, it, conversely in Chicago, uh, uh, not necessarily a franchise you hold dear, but at least a city that you hold dear. I'm sure you pay enough attention to the Bulls. Are you surprised and I heard you say on NBA TV last thing was NBA thing was TNT actually. And they asked, well, who would get the A spot between Detroit and Chicago? And I'm sure that was probably the last thing that you would have expected coming into the season that Chicago will be at the bottom around 500, scrapping for a playoff spot. How shocked are you at the current state of affairs? Is it just the injuries? Is it just the coaching change? What 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 is it going on in your opinion? Well, it's you, you can't blame the the injuries because over the last you know three to four years that's that's been the story of Chicago the injuries. Mm-hmm. However, they were always um, you know in playoff position, whether it be a fourth or fifth. Um, you know, you never really saw them at the bottom. Um, the identity that that they had, um, you know, from a defensive standpoint and a leadership. Um, that they always agreed it came from the coach. It came from uh, Thibodeau. And right now, you you still see a team that that like that lacks uh, an identity in terms of is it an offensive team? Is it a defensive team? 
And from a leadership standpoint, you know, you, you ask who's the leader of the group, who's the one that you can point to and, and you know, then you go in the locker room, um, you know, after every game. And I'm sure you, you notice a difference in terms of when you walk in the locker room, you know, there was one person that you always kind of gravitate to as, as the voice, uh, whether it be Noah, whether it be uh, Tibbs, whoever it was, uh, those two voices are not there anymore. And consequently, you know, who speaks for the Chicago Bulls? And to see them in a situation like this, I'm, I'm very surprised, and I tell you the other team that I'm shocked at that's in the situation that they're in is Milwaukee. So when you look in the East, um, you probably have to say that the, the two su- surprisingly uh, uh, disappointing teams this year uh, would be uh, in the East. You know, you would have to say it's Chicago and Milwaukee in terms of where they were last year and what we projected. This is a, uh, a, you know, obviously a very interesting season. You got two teams, you know, that could reach 70 games very well. Although I don't think the Spurs are going to win out to, to be 72 and 10. Um, and you know, obviously so Golden State. Parody, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, two teams that could very well go undefeated at home, but I, I still think there's a little bit of disappointment uh, as far as the quality of basketball uh, as we see today. Anything that bothers you about the way that the game is being played this season and, and the quality of, of basketball that we're seeing outside of Golden State and San Antonio? Well, you know, that there's, this, there's this theory that's been floated out there that the game is evolving and the game has evolved. And, you know, um, you know, evolution is a big word and evolving is a big word. And I... I like to challenge those who say their game has evolved. Um, and what do you mean? Key question. What do you mean when you say the game has evolved? Um, you know, because when you talk about evolution from a, a scientific and a humanistic standpoint, okay, there, there is evolved. You know, you can, you can go back and, 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 and say, okay, at one point in time, you know, um, well, there's a theory of, there's a big bang theory <laughs> and then there's the creation theory, right? Uh, right. but in, in all sports, you know, there's, there's four lines, there's two baskets and, and, uh, unless there's an athlete that's, you know, has, has, you know, has got like three arms or something or got three ears, <laughs> uh, show, show me, show me that person. Now, Strategically, has does the game employ different strategies? Yes. Um, so coaches have different strategies defensively and offensively. And because your defensive strategy opens up the three-point shot and it opens up the paint, doesn't mean that the game has evolved or doesn't mean that your defensive strategy is probably different than defensive strategies of old. I was talking to, to Andre Miller about, you know, this thing, same thing that you just mentioned. And, and, you know, obviously Andre Miller, I'm sure you would agree, one of the smartest point guards to play the game in the last, you know, 15 years. Uh, and he said, I would know, include Mark Jackson in that also. Mark Jackson, absolutely. Uh, and yeah. he said, you know, the, the uh, a lot of players nowadays, and, and it's a philosophy thing, they – they've abandoned the, the mid-range two. The two-point shot is like, you know, you see either get to the lane, get to the paint, 
or shoot three-point shots. Nobody masters the art of that shooting that mid-range jumper anymore, that two-point shot anymore. Is that why do you think that you know so many players are lacking you know, and can't really make that shot? Well, I, I wouldn't say they can't make it, and I wouldn't say it's lacking. I would say with the uh, with the influence of of analytics or um, uh, science in our game, in the in the sharing of information, what has been shared uh, with all thirty teams is that. Um, the three-point shot is a very effective shot, and then you want to have layups. Um, so most offenses now are designed, again, we're talking about strategy now, uh, most offenses are designed now to take advantage of the three-point line or drive the basket, drive to the basket and get a layup. Um, so you don't have offenses being designed to take advantage of the mid-range game, with the exception of the other team that's going to probably win 70 games, who's the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, they rely a lot on, on the mid-range game as opposed to the three-point ball. Well, several years ago, uh, you know, they were very effective with the three-ball. But, you know, they let, you know, Pop looked at his team and he said, you know, the the mid-range game is a place where they can be effective, and they may be one of the most effective teams uh, at the mid-range game right now. We're talking to Isaiah Thomas. The uh, ESPN rated him the 26th best player of all time, which is a little low for my liking, and we won't get into where he was ranked as a point guard on that list because <laughs> that will spark off a whole other conversation. But I think, what you're, I think what one of the points you're getting to is although the game is quote-unquote smarter by the numbers and the way the information is passed along, it doesn't mean that, it, that it's better. If, that's, you know, if you're passing the game down from generation to generation, you know, I don't get the sense that you feel confident in the way that the game is being taught and the way that the game is being played overall. Well, I, I would say there's a, there's a um, you know, when we talk about um, – knowledge and wisdom. Uh, there, there's two ways to acquire knowledge and wisdom. Uh, you can acquire it through experience and participation, or you can acquire it through observation. Um, you know, the, so when you're talking about uh, the way uh, all game is being analyzed today, it's being analyzed and critiqued uh, through observation, there's more literature uh, on the game now uh, and about our sport than ever before. And that literature is being written uh, from the observer's perspective. Now, uh, that's one set of knowledge, and that's one set of wisdom. There's another set of knowledge and wisdom that speaks through uh, education, that speaks through experience, in participation. So when you participate in the sport, there's an oral history that, that occurs in education and learning. And analytics and science says that they really give no credence to the oral history of knowledge being passed on from generation to generation of how the game is being played, how the game is being taught. We would call that storytelling. Um, 
science says storytelling can be, be tweaked. So science says that we only acknowledge as truth things that can be observed, uh, and then after observing it, then we can give you a prediction of, or percentage of how many times this is going to occur. Science calls that truth. Now, there's two kinds of truths. There is an oral history to our game. There is a storytelling of knowledge and wisdom that can get passed on that doesn't necessarily have to be categorized uh, or, or put in a category in terms of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or labeled. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a long way of, of, of talking about it, but I think where we are in terms of our sport, um, you know, it's, it's science versus philosophy now. And uh, philosophy and people who have participated and have experience in the sport, we do get to ask the question, why? And we do get to, uh, you know, critique the judgment of the observers who judge themselves. So, um, you know, we don't have as loud a voice right now, again, because the observers and the ones who write the literature, they have the biggest voice and they have the most value. But we as philosophers of the sport, we still should have the right to judge the judgments of the critiquers. In other words, Jabari, us writers aren't doing our jobs. That's what he's saying in a very, <laughs> I mean, he's saying in a very smooth way that we don't take the experience of what we know from, you know, from, from the Yodas of the game today and that we take more we take more numbers than we take knowledge. Yeah, he's saying it in a nice way, Jabari. He's, taking a, he's I, saying it in a nice way. I would agree with that. But, you know, to, and, and I don't know, you may not agree with this. Like, there's not a lot of guys out there in the league now that is, they're, they're not as equipped uh, to talk about the game and to explain the game uh, in, in a way where it's more understandable or in a way that they understand it. Uh, you know, like you guys were, you know, Michael, yourself, you know, all those, you guys knew how to speak the game and talk the game. Nowadays, I don't think you find that. I don't know if you agree with that or not. I just don't think you find as much of it nowadays than anything. I think some players, guys just want to get in, get out, get their money, go home, you know, and they're not willing to, they don't well, talk the game. Well, the, the, they have been, um, you know, the, the, the players uh, in a lot of ways have been muted and they've been silenced and you're asking them to speak in the language. And, and key, key word here, you're asking them to speak in the language that is comfortable for you to understand. Mm. Uh, so you, you're asking them to speak in a language that only speaks to numbers, that only speaks to percentages. And there is a, a, a philosophical part of our game that, that we talk about when you talk about love, when you talk about feelings, when you talk about community, when you talk about trust, when you talk about all those things, that's why we play the sport, and that's what we strive to have. When you talk about a championship team, you talk about trust. You talk about, you know, friendship. You talk about the, the immeasurables. You talk about the sublime, and those, are, those words, we're comfortable in speaking that language. But when you're telling me I got to, you know, talk about, you know, this guy shoots, you know, 33% from the field and 47% from the foul line and 22% from the three-point line and there's 14 seconds to go on the shot clock. And <laughs> the only terms that I'm allowed to speak 
the only terms I'm allowed to speak in are mathematical, scientific terms, then I find that kind of boring. We'll get you out of here on this, uh, Isaiah Thomas. You know, uh, the, the storyline is, is pretty much writing itself in, in today's, uh, in, in this, this season, you know, and it all revolves around the Golden State Warriors. You've been a head coach in this NBA. Uh, you know, you play the game, you understand it better than most, probably one of the more respected minds I have ever spoken to. You're a coach in today's game, and you have to play the Golden State Warriors in a seven-game series. Health, you know, is not a problem. How do you go about strategically to beat them? Well, fortunately, you and I are on the same journalistic side of the table. <laughs> so, so, so I don't get paid for solutions. I get paid for observations. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I I can't tell you. I can't give you that strategy. The only thing I can tell you is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy watching someone try to figure it out, and I and I hope they feel challenged enough to figure it out. I do know there's one coach who's trying to figure it out, and that's Greg Pop, Popovich because he was asked a question. Uh, I think it was last week. I heard him uh, being interviewed, and he said he he thinks about Golden State every day in terms of how to beat them. And um, as a former athlete, uh, former competitor, um, you know, we always come from not how how many points we can score against the opponent, but how can we stop the opponent. So when you ask former players or you ask current players uh, how they think about the opponent, Nine out of ten of them will tell you what they think in terms of how they can stop the opponent or want to stop the opponent. Very few of them will talk about how they will score against the opponent. Do you have an idea? Am I saying? Oh, he's got an idea. You have to have an idea. He ain't saying it. He's not saying it. He's not saying it. Yeah, you talk. You're talking to the guy who spent four hours walking up and down Lakeshore Drive and Michigan Avenue trying to figure out how do we stop Michael Jordan, not how do we score against Michael Jordan. And, you know, all of us have given it some thought. (laughs) (laughs) And what Jabari, what Isaiah won't tell you to finish that series series off is, Jordan scored 47, I think, on the Pistons and hit a game winner in the conference finals. The next three games, I think Isaiah outscored them in every one, and they pretty much whooped Chicago to get to the finals. See, he he won't tell you the end of every story. He'll just tell you the part that sound that he he won't humble brag it. You know what I'm saying? If if you notice it, he won't really humble brag it. But there was nothing more that Isaiah relished than beating Chicago in Chicago and beating Michael Jordan. He won't elaborate on it, but it is. <laughs> You know, hey, facts are facts, and the truth is the truth. So I'm 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 gonna leave it at that, and um, you know, I, I look forward to to listening to you guys, and, and good luck, and I can't wait to come back on the show again. So we gonna Isaiah talk about Thomas. some uh, lack of black. We gonna talk about lack of black GMs on the show. We gonna talk about where coaching is going. We gonna put Zeke on the hot seat. This ain't really Isaiah on the hot seat. We gonna get Isaiah unplugged next time. Well, we the three of us may all have to be, you know, in the same room when we do this because I may have to, I may have to eyeball yeah, y'all. Yeah, because we got to take some pictures. Exactly. We'll try to set it up, man. Isaiah Tonnelly, thank you so much for all your time, my brother. 
as always, we appreciate it, and um, you know, we look forward to hearing more. Uh, and, and you know, you covering NCAA tournament as well as NBA playoffs, which are coming up very soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lee. Okay, and thank you. Isaiah Thomas here on the Point Game Podcast. Well, remember to catch all your Spurs news and notes my com, expressnews.com and head over to csnchicago.com to check out Vinny Goodwill's work on the Chicago Bulls. Okay, thank you so much for listening. As always, 